And now presenting the Date Night Drive-In. Hello, and welcome back to the Date Night Drive-In. Hello. Sorry, um, we're just uh, backing into our parking spot, and obviously beep, when you do that, beep, you have to look beep, out the... Beep, rear window. Oh, yeah. Segway, yeah. we did it. Uh, a Segway, not spelled with the W. Not this podcast, that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. Um, hello and welcome back. We are reviewing, I get <laughs> reviewing, we are watching and vaguely talking about another classic movie today. Yes, which I think is perfect for the season. I hope you've all had a lovely winter holiday, mm-hmm. however you celebrate with family, by yourself. Lots of cosiness and good vibes. Although if it's like summer when you're listening to this, I hope you're having a nice summer as yeah. well. Yeah, just picture that sort of cosy winter energy that I feel like a lot of classic Hollywood movies bring. Yeah. And um, definitely, I think, Hitchcock movies feel oh, wintry sure. to me. The majority of them. Yeah. I watched It's a Wonderful Life for the first time uh, last week. And it was cried so all good. The way through. Yeah, it was great. I didn't cry at the start. So we're watching Rear Window. We are. It's number 49 on the IMDb Top 100. Oh, so not as good as Lion King. Uh, no, but better above than Lion King, I think. But better than... No, Lion King was 96. Okay, 96. So but better than Lion King, but not as good as... Lion King was 36, sorry. My bad. Yeah. Not as good as Lion King, but better than Indiana Jones. Yes. Cool. More or less. Uh, well, hopefully. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade. I don't actually know where the first Indiana Jones is ranked on the list. So. It should be, because it's better. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So... This film was released in 1954. Mm-hmm. It was directed by a small indie director called <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, who you may have heard of. Oh my gosh, does he feature in the movie? Um, he, he, you would be surprised to hear he makes a cameo in this movie. Crazy! So unlike him. So unlike him. Um, at this point, do you want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the Alfred ha- Hitchcock mafia bit? Oh, yes. So Will and I have a stupid couple bit that he does where... He... It's a stupid joke where <laughs> I've done... Alfred Hitchcock. I did, I've done an impression of him as like a Italian American like mobster, you know, like the like proper Robert De Niro, Scorsese, like Joe Pesci sort of gangster. It's despite so the fact, good. Despite the fact that he was a Londoner and had a London accent, it's and, so and just good. finds it hilarious. So it's I'm gonna so throw it in at some oh, point in this episode and oh, catch you by surprise. So hard. It's not at all funny, but Anne it's finds it really great. It's really good, you guys. So. This comes out pretty much right in the middle of Hitchcock's... Because he, he started mm. directing in, like, the 20s. Yeah, but he this just is, really churned him out then. But this is right in the middle of his, like, heyday. Yeah. So this follows um, some of his famous films, some the ones that really put him on the map, like uh, Dial M for Murder, Rebecca, mm. and Strangers on the Train. Ah, oh, my favourite Hitchcock movie. Um, but he will be appearing again on the list because sure he, will. he follows this um, great film, Rear Window, with three of his absolute classics, which might be my... The Birds, Vertigo, North by Northwest. Um, Dial in for Murder. Oh, no, we've done Dial in for Murder. It's Psycho. Oh, Psycho, of course. I've actually never seen that one. It's good. It's on the list, so we will be seeing it. Will it be too spooky? Will you hold my hand? Uh, I will hold your hand. Thank you. But those films are yet to come. I really like uh, Vertigo. It's my favourite Alfred Hitchcock it's film. It's very good. And yes, so he'll be appearing a lot. But what an incredible run of films. In about five years, he did Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, Psycho, Vertigo, and North by Northwest. Crazy. I think that might be the best ever, like, run of films by a director ever in the history of I think it's pretty good. You know what? If you disagree, get in the comments. Exactly. Reply to us on Twitter and on Discord. 
Um, Blank check want to be us. <laughs> don't name drop other podcasts. They don't need the advertisement. <laughs> they have a Patreon. We don't have a Patreon. Um, cast in this film, amazing. Mm-hmm. James Stewart, mm-hmm. Grace Kelly, oh. just icons, icons of screen. Icons of screen. We love them. We, we love them lots. And uh, James Stewart was one of um, Hitchcock's favourite leading men. It was sort of him yeah. and... Cary Grant, who are I kind of the two favourites. This would be a good moment to acknowledge another elephant in the room, which is the way Hitchcock has treated a lot of his actresses throughout his history of film. Yep. Uh, I want to say, not a nice guy. I no. only feel comfortable celebrating his con- his contribution to cinema because he is dead and he cannot financially profit from any of this. Yep. And actually, there was a long thought, like legal battle over the rights to this film as well because it's based on a book. Yeah, was he being a douche about it? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, that sounds like the guy. <laughs> yeah, it does, it does. So Hitchcock, yeah, not a great person. It's just, again, that's a good... I look at him of. the same way I look at historical figures who I feel like, like have... Who I feel have contributed to art significantly, like Leonardo da Vinci, you know, who wasn't great with some of his apprentices, or um, Greek philosophers who've made notable contributions, but, like, aren't slaves. Sure. He's now a historical figurehead more than anything to me. Of course, yeah. So, me- moving on to talk about the actual film, I've got yes. to kind of far out this bubble while I talk about the commercial success <laughs> of the film, because why not? Money, um, money, money. It had a one million budget, which mm-hmm. is quite big for the That's 50s. That's crazy for the 50s. It had a huge return of 37 million, so it yeah. absolutely smashed its like box office return. Mm-hmm. And over the years, it's sort of been viewed as a as a cult movie, it's one of the five lost Hitchcocks, which are films where Alfred Hitchcock stole the IP rights. And, yeah, um, just his, like Shakespeare. And they weren't, um, you know, viewable anywhere because the they, the ownership was disputed. Yeah. And they're they've just now, kind of in the past like thirty years, been um, accessible yeah. again to the public. So this is one of them. Uh, Dial Emperor Murder is another one. Mm. A lot of the ones that sort of come out yeah. at this sort of stage of his career are on that list. This was. Obviously a very well-received film. It wasn't a superb hit, but it was reviewed high. Mm. Pretty much everyone liked it. Audiences liked it. It's it's like... It was an inverted commas mundane Hitchcock hit in that it was a great film, which everyone loved, and it came out in the midst of a load of other great films that he did, which everyone loved as yeah. well. It's so, like, kind of, well, that was that. It's like an unremarkable classic, weirdly, mm. just because it was so good. I feel that. I think you could very much say the same about... Oh, gosh, uh, the guy you love who did The Witch and Northman. Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. I, comparable-ish, in that the same way, like, uh, a Robert Eggers movie comes out and it's great, and you're like, well... S- sort of. Like, I Hitchcock's just can't think of any other more that. apt modern comparisons. But the yeah, the thing with the Hitchcock films is that um, critics love them, mm. like producers love them, and the audience love them. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't like they were indie darlings or they were did popular with the masses. Did contemporary critics love them? Yeah, they did. I'll see if I can find the um, reception piece on the Wikipedia page. In my head, I always kind of assumed he was one of those guys who audiences love them, contemporary, like Orson Welles, contemporary critics didn't, and then no? you kind of wait 20 years and the you, critics are like, oh, they're good, actually. You are wrong. Contemporary critics okay, love it. That's crazy. Uh, the New York Times Review called it a tense and exciting exercise. And uh, his description of Hitchcock was a director whose work has a maximum of build-up to the punch, a maximum of carefully tricked deception, and incidents to divert and amuse the most entertaining mind. Mm, the bomb under the table. So they are... Yeah, exactly. So, um, although the same reviewer said uh, the film was not significant, but he gave it a really positive review. Yeah. 
Which I know might be fair. I think you can be like, this movie is really good. It hasn't changed the face of cinema. Sure. And I think that's likely where we're going to Very come fair down comment. But some stuff happens later that does change the face of cinema. Wah, wah, wah. Which Anne's going to talk about I in just will. a second. So what we're talking about, the reception of this film, it was nominated for four Oscars. Can mm-hmm. you guess which four? Best Leading Actress, Grace Kelly. Uh, no. <gasps> Crazy. Uh, okay, screenplay? Uh, best uh, adapted screenplay because yeah. it was adapted from a short story. So they got best adapted screenplay was the Oscar nomination, and that wasn't used in the court case. Oh no, it was. I okay. Think. Um, best lead actor. No, no acting awards at all. Directing. Oh, music. Uh, it w- it got best sound mm-hmm. because um, all the sound in this film is diegetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So everything is like background sound in this it's film. It's really which, um, good. Even like when you hear music, it's music that was being played in like a radio. Yeah, on screen or um, the sound of all the sound of people's conversations and stuff like mm. that. Um, which is very cool. It was also nominated for best cinematography and mm-hmm. best picture. Mm-hmm. It won a lot of window none. shots. Surprisingly, it won none. 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 No Oscars. And everyone's like, "What's that all about?" I don't feel bad about Hitchcock losing. Yeah, Good. Yeah. Although Grace Kelly did win an Oscar this year Yay! anyway for The Country Girl. Oh, good for her. Um, Marlon Brando won. Yes, for King on Street- the waterfront. Oh, yeah, Streetcar would have been earlier. That's yeah. forty-two. Maybe. You're the person with two film degrees, I'm doing my best. Um, Speaking of On the Waterfront, Mm -hmm. Grace Kelly was offered um, the role of Edie Mm -hmm. in On the Waterfront and turned it down to be in this film. Crazy. So there you are. So I'm just going to talk about the um, other winners for those... um, for those nominations and Mm -hmm. see if we think it deserved it. So the winner for Best Cinematography was Three Coins in the Fountain, which I haven't heard of. Um, also nominated was Seven Brides of Seven Brothers, which Aww. I have seen. My dad likes that film. It's a fine movie. Uh, Best Director was won by, uh, won by Aaliyah Kazan for On the Waterfront. Nice. Which, do you think that was deserved more than... I haven't seen On the Waterfront. Oh, I'm I just familiar had. with uh, Kazan. So you, you were like reacting to it. Just because I like, I like him. I, I'm like Googling. He is um, Zoe Kazan's granddaughter. Yeah, grandfather. I know. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, th- I think that was cool. I like Zoe Kazan. We're going to go and watch um, She Said... This Saturday. Very excited. Very Christmassy movie. <laughs> um, best. What, what Sound? else was I looking for? Yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'm scrolling. Best picture was also won by On the Waterfront because, mm. like. Everyone loved that film. It's a good film. Um, best Sound was the Glenn Miller story, which I haven't read. Uh, or, or, or watched or seen, yeah. And best writing um, for a screenplay was On the Waterfront as well. Wow, sweet. That film just, yeah, absolutely swept. Mm. It sweeped, it swept. Let us know in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's... Rear Window has been preserved by the National Film Registry as oh, nice. a historically important film. Just like Shrek. I was just... <laughs> I've literally got that yeah. in my notes joining <laughs> Shrek, which is we a We share a single brain cell. Um, one cool thing, and a lot of people are like, it should have won Best Production. Mm. Because rather than filming in Greenwich Village, yeah. they built... An entire, basically, corner of Greenwich Village in a soundstage. That's so cool. I uh, love practical design. It took six weeks to build the soundstage and, it, like, another couple of months to plan it. Yeah. Um, it used over a thousand different lights so they could appropriately simulate. Oh my gosh, that's so nice. Like, morning, midday, dusk, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. night. And um, it had its an industry first drainage system 
and so that the guttering actually worked, so that when they did use rain sequences, it didn't damage the Truman set. Show, eat your heart out. Right. I'm very excited to see if they used a wind machine in tandem with a rain machine. Because to me, that bears. really, like, it makes it... Well, when the rain is just... Like, the rain doesn't fall directly straight down from the sky, and it does if you use a rain machine. And gets really grumpy about it. It breaks the immersion. It also breaks my enjoyment of a film, when you point <laughs> it out, but there we are. Um... I've got some more trivia while we're triviaing, and then mm-hmm. you can talk about Laura Mulvey. Yay! Um, the, you've seen this film, right? Uh, yes, years ago. So, you know, Miss, you know Miss Torso, the lady who mm-hmm. dances, the actress who played her, um, lived in her apartment on set for oh the entirety gosh, of so the cool. shoot and refused to be in the same room as Alfred Hitchcock because she said, um, I know, right, good idea, but, um, she said that no respectable young woman would entertain a man alone in her apartment. Good for her. Um, and um, she had to wear an earpiece and have instructions radio to her. Mm. Um, which is one, James Stewart's character in this film is a war hero. Mm-hmm. And there's a framed picture of him next to a plane on his mantelpiece. Oh, cool. James Stewart himself was actually in the Air Force. Yeah. And that's an actual picture of James Stewart. That's so with cool. His plane. I love it in movies where... They show pictures of the characters as children and it's just the actor's baby photos. I think that's so cute. Can you think of any examples? Uh, oh, in the credit? No, because that's not the actors. I don't know. My brain's not working. No, fair. I'm hungry. Uh, um, we have some nachos in the oven mm. right now. So, oh, um, here's a good one. Um, Alfred Hitchcock and James Stewart um, had worked in so many films together that they had a weird non-verbal method of communication. Oh, like where they just Yeah. Where they basically just had like this almost telepathic, yeah. non-verbal, where they just communicate based off expressions and like and like body language. I love that though, because you know, I for the fans of the podcast who don't know, or two of you, um, I've directed and I have some actor friends who I've worked with for quite a few years. Um, to the point where they basically know exactly what I want. I can give them a very vague, nondescript line of direction, yep. and they take it and run with it, and they're amazing. So I can only imagine like the professional level at which these two are at. Absolutely. So done that. Oh, sorry, I'm just looking at my plan. I have watched this film ages ago. Like Me too. Five plus years ago, probably. Mine would have been 2016, 2017 when I watched it. Yeah, mine was probably a similar mm. sort of time, so I'll be interested to see when it's we first year come back to First year university kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that was probably when I watched it. Same, um, but I, I watched it for class. I mean, my takeaway is like, um, you know that gift from Arrested Development, mm. where there's the bird that says, Oh, the dead, dead dove. In, uh, dead dove inside, yeah. and he looks at it, he's like, I don't know what I expected. Yeah. I was like, well, this film that everyone loves and is regarded as one of the best films ever, is one of the best films ever. That's how I felt watching Citizen Kane. You were really grumpy about it. Yeah. There was another one you watched as well, I can't remember what it was. Uh, me neither. Where you were like, oh, you tweeted about it, so um, mainly acts Oh, it was Breakfast Twiffinies. at Twiffany's. Twiffany's. <laughs> breakfast at Twiffany's. <laughs> it was Breakfast at Tiffany's. I was thinking of Twitter. And you were like, it's it's good, and I'm so, I'm enraged yeah. that it's a good film. So there's that. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see whether it justifies its spot. What is your early thought? Do you think it justifies number 49 on the IMDb Top 100 Greatest Movies Ever? I would agree, basically, with what the contemporary critic in the New York Times said, in that I think it's a pretty great movie. I don't think it... Significant. Significant. I don't think it really... Whilst it is, I think, a demonstration of great technical ability, Mm -hmm. I don't think it really does anything that significantly changes the cinematic landscape. Um... And I think that it is really interesting that a movie that gave birth to what is essentially a scathing 
um, recognition of sexism in like classical Hollywood cinema, which we've previously discussed on the podcast, mm-hmm. which kind of ranges from the 30s to the 60s, is that sort of era. Um, and then there was no sexism in Hollywood at yeah. all after that. Um, but I think that it's really interesting that a film which is one of the inspirations for uh, Moldy's paper ranks so high overall. Mm. And do you want to talk a bit about um, I do. female gaze? Will, are you ready for a crash course in feminist cinema? Um, I, I'm looking forward to flying through the windshield as we crash <laughs> the date night driving into a feminist cinema. I don't know. <laughs> I understand. I understand what you're going for. Um, so, Laura Mulvey, mm-hmm. a very uh, well-established film academic, mm-hmm. in 1975, in the British journal Screen, film journal, yes. she publishes a paper. Well, she doesn't publish it, the journal publishes it, but you get my point. This essay is called Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema, and many of you may have heard the term the male gaze. Uh, this is where it comes from. She she invented it, I'm sure, with the help of her colleagues and contemporaries, but it was first coined in this paper. So, so she actually coined the phrase yep. "the male gaze." It did not exist in it, cinema now. In... It, it's not one of those things where it's like a theory that she came up with that people called the male gaze. No, nope, she, she actually in her paper phrase. writes the phrase awesome. "the male gaze." It's very cool. There are kind of two parts to this paper. The first is where she talks about why we enjoy watching things. It's a pleasure in looking. Mm-hmm. She uses two terms: scopophilia, which basically means we have a desire to control things, and we do this by watching them. And also, Lacanic theory by Jean Lacan, about how women theoretically, stay with me here, women theoretically symbolise castration, and so our lack of power and punishment in narratives reaffirms masculinity. You watch a movie, something bad happens to a woman, and you, in the scenario not a woman, are like, oh my god, glad I'm not a woman. Glad I'm a man and have power. She talks a bit about Freud and penis theory, um, a lot of 1970s based psychoanalysis. She uses this base of a pleasure in looking and a satisfaction and relief almost mm-hmm. in not being a woman. She moves on to the second half where she talks about movies. She references references a bunch of Alfred Hitchcock movies. Uh, Vertigo is one of them. And so is Rear Window. Yay! She talks about how in these movies, which she refers to as classical Hollywood cinema, that's kind of an already accepted term by this point, um, male characters are active and they're looking. They're looking at the women. The female characters are passive and uh, they're being observed, Mm -hmm. crucially, without their knowledge that they're being looked at. This is, I think, Rear Window is one of the most uh, uh, prevalent examples for this because... There is actually several scenes where a female character is being stalked and looked at by a male character yeah. who is the point of view of the camera. And, uh, like, looking through the window... Exactly. Al- almost exactly sort of symbolises, uh, you know, the, the male gaze looking at... Yeah. Like, there's the degree of separation there, which is similar to the male gaze the looking, looking... Yeah, yeah, which is the male gaze looking through, like, a, a movie screen exactly or, or the camera. This. Yeah. Exactly this. So... Something that is really interesting about it, and I don't know if you've noticed in these older movies, we don't really get moments where the male character is alone, is vulnerable, and is essentially unsure that he is being watched while we, the audience, observe him. However, you do get scenes where, you know, the female characters are alone, they are perhaps undressing, being vulnerable, and we, the audience, are observing them. And that's basically the patriarchy in cinema and what's known as the male gaze. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this is why when people use the term the female gaze, 
to dis- to describe um, movies where male ideals that are attracted to women are being shown. That term kind of doesn't really exist. It's sort of like reverse racism. Yeah. In that their act in itself can apply to it, but the whole point of the male gaze is it's supported by like patriarchy within film. And because there's patriarchy within film and not really any matriarchy within film, you can't really have the female gaze. It's kind of made up. I mean, everything's made up, but you know what I mean. So, you may have some problems with this theory. You may be going, Anne, what if I'm a woman watching a film? I'm not engaging in the patriarchy by looking because I'm not attracted to this woman. You may go, Anne, I'm, well, I'm a queer person. I'm not attracted to women and I'm watching this film as, mm-hmm. you know, a male person. So how am I engaging there? You may go, what if there's a woman behind the camera directing this? Um, I say, these are all valid criticisms. Laura Mulvey wrote this paper in 1975. It's not perfect. There are great updates that you should go read. There are a lot of historical films where women are dissected by the camera. They are vulnerable. They're objects. They are not in control. Mulvey says the way we can kind of solve this is by, A, making the camera or structure obvious. So, like, Wes Anderson movies. They're so constructed um, and very clearly film and made up. Through that, we are kind of getting rid of this idea that we're, like, gazing in on these women as they live their lives. We're like, this is very clearly a movie. Everything's so structured and pretty. But the most important way, she says, Will, yes. is through film analysis we disrupt this. Because we're recognising it's a movie. We're talking about it like it's fiction. So you're engaging in feminist cinema practice simply by talking about feminist cinema practice. How great is that? Great. <laughs> That's basically the male gaze, a crash course. Um, I talked a lot, sorry. Um, hello to everyone who's just woken up after that. It's really interesting. It, it is really interesting. I'm sure you, Anne would love to talk to you about it. Do you feel like you learned something? Um, I do. Yay. Um, against my will, as if, um, you know, I was tied up and someone um, explained. Will hates feminism, you guys. I, I, I hate feminism. I hate it when Anne talks about feminism. Um, mm. I just like movies, um, which are like the bit in Transformers where Megan Fox leans over the car. Yes. That's all I want Absolutely. out of my movies. <laughs> Famously, if mm. you look at my top ten movie list ever, yes. it's just full of movies like that. Yes. I love Michael Bay. You do love movies about men. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, my second favourite movie ever um, is about women. So there you are. Oh, which one is it? Fraudra Project. I've never seen it. i got no idea what that movie's about. I thought it was about Willem Dafoe. He's he's a character in it. Oh, cool! But you'll you'll be surprised to hear people can be characters in a movie without it being about them. Shocking. Um, no, it's about uh, basically class in Florida, oh, um, as shown by a a young lady and her uh, sister. Oh, that's nice. So, it's a good film. You should watch it. Unfortunately, it's not the only TV oh, top no. one hundred because a twenty four criminally underrepresented. <laughs> right? We'll get to that another time. Speaking of another time. It's almost time for us to go and watch this film. Yay! In theory, in practice, we're going to watch it like tomorrow. tomorrow. But the audience don't need to know that. What classic movie snack are you having? Did we already say nachos? Because I feel like we no. already said nachos. Oh, you said nachos earlier, and you specified mm. the nachos you get at like an Odeon where they've got the radioactive yeah. bright orange cheese. You know what? I'm going to say bonbons. This is an Ooh. old movie. I feel like it deserves a classy, classic old time snack. Not not your your actual favourite cinema snack, which is a mixture of the cherry and blue raspberry slushy with a mm. double of vodka. Don't out me. My parents listen to this. I think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> I'm not commenting on that. <laughs> My selection then, if we're if we're selecting classic pick and mix, mm-hmm. is I really like um, 
The little um, sugar mice. Oh, the little white chocolate mice. Yeah, the little white chocolate mice. They're very nice. A little bit chalky after a while for me, but still delicious. It's true. It's it's cheap movie chocolate. I don't (laughs) know what you expect. Any more questions? Uh, No. I'm looking forward to the rear window. But until then, we'll catch you later at the date night drive-in. No, we're not driving away. We we drive in. Okay. Then we talk for a bit. Okay. Then the movie starts. Oh, okay. Shh, will the movie start? Right? No, not yet. Um, There's still all the trailers. Oh, okay. And then we drive back home and we talk about it when we get back home. Okay. So we don't talk about it, then drive the drive-in. We arrive at the drive-in, then talk about it, then, then talk watch about the movie. movie. Then watch the movie, then we drive home, then we talk about Important it Important part of law, thank you. Right. Um, I was thinking maybe doing a feature where we talk about what movies would be trailered. Oh, that like would be Like for the cute. film that we're watching. But that requires me to do more research, and we've talked for long enough already. Stay tuned for 2023. Um, yes. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, goodbye. Bye. And welcome back to the date night driving. Uh, I don't know if Am kept that part of us preparing about the same violin. I'll be really funny if you did though. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Well, we're back, and we've just talked about Rear Window. We've just watched Rear Window. We're talking about Rear Window. Well, we talked about now. it before. Yes. Well. But yes, we watched it, and we're talking about it now. Classic Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah. Um, yeah, what did we think? Um, I thought it was good. I'm going to start the call up by saying Will had a little nap for about five minutes. I did. During the movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> call out, call out. horrible. Um, it's because we didn't get much sleep the night before. Because um, we were out late. And then... Partying. Um, so I had a little cat nap during the day. Yeah. And slept for ten hours last night. It's so. called consistency. I'm the marathon runner of sleeping. Okay. I was just waiting for you to finish your slurp, so oh, it wasn't anything. Sorry. Um, so yes, I'll be. I watched most of the film and watched all. I of watched all of the film. So, what are your overall first impressions? Yeah, I uh, thought it was good. I thought the review we discussed previously was pretty on point. Where mm-hmm. I think he was like, "It's a good movie. It's not significantly impactful." I don't think. Well, he just said it's not significant, and yeah. I think that very um, concisely sort of sums up my feelings about the movie as well, which is. Yeah, it's the the pacing's excellent. I love the framing with looking between all the different windows and yeah. sort of this um, apartment complex, and that's really interesting. The overall plot sort of skips mm. along at a nice pace, but um, I don't think it's a movie where I go away and I think, oh, my my cinematic experience has just been changed. And likewise, I don't yeah. think it's a movie where you look at it and go, this is a this is a film that was foundational in the history of cinema, either practically or or like you know, theoretically or narratively. I kind of wish it had been a play. I think it would be a great play. It would be a really good play. Has anyone put this to, to stage yet? 100%. I'll see if I can find it. Rear window play. Um, yes. they. Oh, they did a play of it in... With Kevin Bacon? In Connecticut. With, I'm just seeing if it's actually... Yeah. Yeah, they um, yeah they they did um a play of it in the Connecticut theatre with Kevin Bacon playing Jeff. That sounds great. I would love to go see that. I think yeah, because as as a film, it sort of functions really in one key location. Yeah, and I guess if you sort of set it up a bit like um in the staging of Dear, Dear Evan Hansen, where they have like the beds in one corner, which is where a lot of stuff yeah. happens in that play, um or musical, um 
you you could do that where you have sort of Jack kind of placed in his like wheelchair or whatever yeah. in one corner, and then on the other side of the stage you could sort of light and have the yeah. what, the action in the other apartments. And you could sort of rotate it that way because this is a very fixed film and um, it feels very claustrophobic for that yeah. reason. So I think that would really work in a play. You're Absolutely. Right. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I have notes. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I think. I think that one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind is our previous discussion of women's bodies in cinema Mm -hmm. um, in relation to, like, how this movie functions. Yeah. Um, Like, I thought the women in this movie actually, by the end, uh, take quite an active role. But there is obviously still that uh, act of looking from LB um, towards especially Miss Torso, Mm-hmm. The ballet dancer. Well, I mean, what did you think? No, I, 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 compl- I completely agree that there is still... There is the act of looking, but um, the... I, th- I think I think the, the, the women in the movie later on, like you say, take a more active and prominent role in the story. Like Lisa and Stella are sort of fundamental to, um, to solving the case that's going on. Yeah, I mean, I thought like Lisa was a really cool modern character to be a love interest. Yeah. Uh, both in terms of like her actions, like when she was sort of climbing up the fire escape. To, yeah. Um, when Jeffries was like, "Oh no, but you're like a socialite woman. Like you can't really help me that much." And she's like, "I'm gonna climb up a fire escape and break into a murderer's apartment because I'm really cool." And she also had some some quite neat sort of lines of dialogue and kind yeah. of talked through her, you know, her perspective on the world and everything. So I thought that was a really interesting role. I thought Grace Kelly was great. Grace Kelly is always great. Like I'm glad I'm sort of glad that she turned down on the waterfront yeah. to be in this film because I think she does a lot to sort of carry this film. I mean, yeah, it's not groundbreaking feminism, but it's not as bad as I was expecting given it being the basis for such a paper. Yeah, and also given it being a Hitchcock film in the fifties. Yeah. You know. I do understand why it was included though, because the idea of like our protagonist being someone who sits and looks yeah. is a really great basis. Um, I also thought the sound was really good, the diegetic uh, sound that you mentioned previously. Uh, absolutely. So uh, all the sound effects, background sound and music in the film yeah. being diegetic, so being you know, a radio that's in another apartment being overheard or conversations from other apartments, it feels yeah. so natural and sort of um, immersive and captivating. This is why it should like be that. a play. Yeah, which yeah, which is why yeah. it would be great to be a play. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so a quick summary of the mm-hmm. story will mm-hmm. will keep me from going off track. This guy is like a action journalist. He deals with war journalism yeah. and like he got injured. I think covering a a, a race like by cars. Um. Ooh. I'd... Um. And he got hit by a car on the track, so he's broken one of his legs. This guy's used to kind of like zipping about and investigating. Um, but he's kind of stuck in one place for six weeks, and so he's been looking out of the rear window of his flat yep. and kind of watching all the characters in their and own houses. Ap- apartment, honey, not flat. Apartment. Apartment. Um, he lives in Greenwich <laughs> Village in Manhattan. Um, hot, hot area to live. Yeah, right? Yeah, up and coming. Uh, and he is looking out onto sort of this courtyard and other apartments in sort of his apartment complex. Mm. And um, he watches sort of all his neighbours because there's a heat wave. They keep their windows open yeah. and stay cool, so he can sort of spy on them. So there's a l- huge mix of sort of different people. There's like a newlywed couple. There's a amateur dancer. There's um, this sort of strange travelling salesman who has a um, bedridden wife. Yeah, and all that. 
Um, there's an artist who makes really cool clay sculptures. Yes. She's cool. I like her. Um, but yeah, I think this is uh, a really good job of, I forgot what it's called, but storytelling, like scenic storytelling. Right. A lot of the storytelling is done not through explicit discussion, but they show you something and they're like, you'll get it. Yeah. Um, so an example of that, um, this is not a spoiler, I, I guess if anyone cares about yeah. a spoiler of a you know, 70, yeah. more than that, no, 70 year old movie, more or less. Um is like he sees this newlywed couple and they're all lovey-dovey at the start and then at the end when he's sort of looking out from his window again yeah. um, this couple are having their first argument Oh, so romantic uh, yeah and the pianist ends up dating the um, the spinster yes the spinster it's, it's, yeah it's just stuff like that where it's it, he, yeah. it's not shown to you by dialogue and and it's not important to the story it's just ni- nice yeah and that contributes to the overall sort of immersive feel is that it Absolutely. feels like the world is moving on around this plot. It feels yeah. like the world of this movie does not just exist to facilitate the story. Yeah. and um, Which is a very Hitchcock thing, by the way. Absolutely. As we continue, essentially what happens is that uh, Jeffries sees this salesman, um, or who he believes to be, or what he believes to be the murder of the salesman's wife. Yep. He hears a glass breaking in the night and a woman scream, don't. Yep. And then the wife is, like, not in the bed anymore. And he sees um, this guy, Thorwald, yep. who's, like, this travelling salesman, um, making trips with a suitcase and cleaning, cleaning a... Cleaning a butcher knife. Uh, like a butcher knife yeah. and a hacksaw, yeah. Um, and there's a... The dog starts sniffing around the flower beds. And then the dog Thorvald dies. The dog freaks out. The dog dies. Yeah. Um, he eventually can't get any proof. Um, and as in all Hitchcock movies, crazy paranoid man ruins his life but is actually correct. Yeah. Uh, sends his uh, friend, in air quotes, Lisa, yeah. um, and his nurse, Stella, to like go and investigate. Uh, they're able to find proof that the he is mm-hmm. you know, guilty of the murder. There's a little bit of fun action and tension, but it all gets resolved in the end. Except uh, Jeffries now has two broken legs. Yes. <laughs> Rather um, than one. Because um, there's, there's this great scene where his phone rings and he's sort of confined to his wheelchair because of... Um, because of his broken leg, yeah. his phone rings and he picks it up, assuming it's like Lisa, Lisa or Doyle, and um, it turns out to be Thorwald who's sort of going to come over yeah. to the apartment and try to murder him. And he's like, he, he's like delaying it by setting off all these flash bulbs from his because he's a photographer. He's a photographer and sort of manages to blind yeah. Thorwald a few times, and he gets sort of thrown out of the window. So it's like very dramatic, I think. It's great. But, I love it. You know, um, if you think about iconic Hitchcock, sort of Hitchcock. Hitchcock drama uh, sort of uh, action scene yeah. you think about like North by Northwest with going the plane the, cornfield, the birds or, eat the birds or even Psycho mm-hmm. um, you know the shower <laughs> thank you your rendition uh, we'll, we'll be sure to revive that next time we watch one um, but this is a much more sedate kind of claustrophobic yeah. high tension film instead but that scene is still very dramatic Absolutely. and Part, part of the the whole the whole film being so sort of static all yeah. the way through, and then you have this sort of high tension Absolutely. scene right at the end, uh, makes it really sort of um, almost as emotionally impactful as some of those other scenes, yeah. like, like North by Northwest or whatever. Um, so I have a question for you about feminism. Um, okay, I was in my best. <laughs> Number one, are you a feminist? Yes. <laughs> that was that wasn't the right question. I just wanted to make you uncomfortable. Um, number two, do you think Mrs. Thornwald was fridged? Um, 
No, I don't think so. I'm just curious because the definition of fridging is the murder of an undeveloped female character to motivate the character development and growth of a male character. Sure. So by that definition. I mean, I think that's quite a loose definition. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was just curious. I think it's really interesting because this film... Because, I don't know, if you look at Fridging, like, uh, like the, I, I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is either Batman's Killing Joke mm. or um, the death of, like, Gwen Stacy in yeah. most Spider-Man stories. That's much more overt than this one. Yeah, I also think one of the problems with Fridging isn't necessarily the act itself, because people act like the... Talk about the female characters being treated as tools. Uh, mm-hmm. All characters are tools. It's how a story works. Uh, the issue, I think, is the prevalency of the role of the female character being death to motivate the male character. The female so, character being death. <laughs> so often. Uh, but in this, we have a lot of very different women with very different stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jeffries is kind of a perv, and that's not okay. Um, but apart from that, I don't have a strong problem with sexism in this movie, other than the era, like... Lisa is very much, I don't know, her generation's manic pixie dream girl. Um, <laughs> she is. I think that's a sentence that I've been said before we're talking about this movie. She's a sexy feminine woman who is rich so she can provide funding for a poor art journalist. She has her own career so she is independent, which I think men were kind of starting to respect when this film came out. It was seen, yeah. starting to be seen as desirable. Um, and she is into all the things that good old Jimmy Stewart's into, but is also very feminine, wants to keep a feminine appearance, cares about womanly things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, the um, nurse is cool. Uh, Stella, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's cool. But, um, Lisa in this film, I think, is probably my favourite role in it. Oh, yeah, she's um, the best character. I think James, uh, James Stewart is good. He's playing his very classic James Stewart role, where he, he was known as... Um, as a everyman sort of character, yeah. those are you know the roles yeah. that he went for. He wasn't viewed as like a super handsome action star like um, I know Marlon Brando yeah. or even Ooh. Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, stop stop ooing when I say. <laughs> um, but yeah, these were very handsome leading men. Um, James Stewart was more viewed as being like your your everyday yeah. re- inverse commas real person. He's and- like George Clooney and James Bond have a baby, as I think how I described him. I think is how he looks. Okay. Um, which, which James Bond? Any? Uh, yeah, any of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, um, I've, I've been stunned by that um, ridiculous <laughs> take. Um, he died like two months before I was born. Bless him, James Stewart. Um, you James Stewart reincarnated. Maybe. You have to tell me. Uh, but he, he's playing a very classic James Stewart character, yeah. is, is my roundabout way of what I was saying there, where he's... Um, you know, a nuanced sort of everyman, whereas I think Grace Kelly's uh, portrayal of Lisa is like the heart of this movie. Oh, for sure. She's the most complex character by a mile. Yeah, really complex, really sort of brave, great performance. And two years after this was filmed, uh, Grace Kelly married the Prince of Monaco and became the Princess of Monaco. Good for her. Uh, yeah, good for her. And Thelma Ritter, who plays Stella, um, won, won the Tony like she three did? years after, oh, three years after this. Yeah. Because she was like a character actress for film and did um, yeah. Tony stuff. So she won the Tony for... I'll see if I can find it. Um, 
Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. It says on the Wikipedia page, she won the 1958 Tony... Oh, fine, I'll, just, I'll find it this way. She won the Tony for New Girl in Town. Oh, nice. I'm not familiar with the musical, um, but yeah. good for her. Well, yeah. It was a George Abbott and um, Bob Merrill one about a prostitute who tries to lift down her past. So there you are. Good for her. Um, good for both Thelma Ritter and the prostitute yeah, in New Girl in Town. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, back, back to this one. I, f- I feel like we're... Not running out of things to say, but... Um, I think one of the things we both really enjoyed about this movie yep. is both of us tend to love anthology stories. Yep. And this definitely, with all the different views into the different apartments who aren't necessarily super relevant to what's going on with Jeffrey's whole thing, um, is, you know, that we get a lot of different stories about what's going on in yeah. the background. I think that's nice. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I feel like maybe in a different world, this could almost be like a limited or anthology series. Each episode is about with people e- in the apartment. Each episode is about people in different apartment. And, um, you know, you do an episode about like the newlywed couple who are falling in love and their arguments. And it's only shown through Jeffrey's yeah. view from the... Or... From his window, yeah. Each episode is the same day for everyone in each apartment, yeah. and the final episode is Jeffrey's perspective. That's cute. That'd like be that. so. We hey, contact us if you want to produce this series. We're claiming IP right now. Uh, well, let's not talk about the IP of this movie. <laughs> uh, I haven't read the short story yet, but I can see also why this would really work in a written format. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Basically, what we're saying is this is great. It's let's a good see story. It in other formats. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, that that would be nice. Um, I mean, I I like a number of Hitchcock films. Mm. Um, I love Vertigo. He said he loves Vertigo. Vertigo, sorry, I'm on with it. Yeah, I love Vertigo, I love, like, Dial M for Murder, and, um, all the other ones, like Psycho, North by Northwest, etc. My favourites are Strangers on a Train and The Birds. That's that's why Anne loved uh, Do Revenge, which is basically Strangers on the Train, it, it, but with it's Place exactly Girl Girls Strangers on a Train. And the lady from um, Kimmel Mendes yeah. from Riverdale. Yeah. Yeah, there you are. And Maya Hawk. But you didn't expect Riverdale to be mentioned in this review of <laughs> Rear Window. I think it's worth bringing back in this discussion as our first Hitchcock movie that we've talked about. Yes, well done. Um... Is Hitchcock's theory of a bomb under the table? Yep. I don't know if you've ever heard about this. Yes, and how it's, he it's, it's the master of suspense thing. Yeah. It's how you show that there's a bomb under the table, but because of dramatic irony, the audience are aware of it. But yeah. the characters aren't, and then the tension keeps rising. And then J.J. Abrams was like, I hate that. I'm going to do Mystery Box instead, yes. which is way worse. Um, I think this isn't actually a bomb under the table movie. Yeah, I don't think it's a so, bomb under the table because movie. Because there is rising tension, but we never see... It's not the case that, like, Jeff falls asleep and we see yeah. through the window uh, the actual murder take place and we're like, ah, we know, you know. Yeah. It's it's kept a mystery until the very end as to whether he actually, uh, whether Thorvald, who's yeah. the murderer, actually did murder his wife. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I think you could quite compellingly also write a um, uh, an alternate ending to this film where he didn't and um, Jeff is just, like, paranoid and bored because he's broken his leg. Very you know? good. I think that could also work narratively. Um, I love weird paranoid men having breakdowns in movies. So the Green Knight's one of my favourite films. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, you hope you like Alfred Hitchcock films, because <laughs> it happens in every one of his, more or less. But um, my, my point by mentioning all these other fil- films is that I enjoyed this. It was a good watch. For me, in the overall like pantheon of Hitchcock releases, yeah. it's probably not even in my top 
three or five. Yeah, this is a movie I would watch on Sunday afternoon with my parents, not because I was really excited to watch a movie, but because we were all like, let's watch a movie. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, it's still well-received, and I think it largely does deserve a place in the top 100. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is number 49, which is probably a little bit high for me. Yeah, I would put it in... I'd put it in, like, the 70s or the 80s. 69. No, you've said that so many times <laughs> Horrible. I would put it seven, 75 to 70, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's an appropriate kind of range for it, where mm. it's a good film, it was a good time to very watch. Very tight. That's the exact word I was going to use. It's very tight. It doesn't feel like there's any lost time in it, necessarily. Or details, or scenery, or music. Yeah. And everything about the practical production is great. Um, I don't think it's particularly, like, like we've been saying, significant, in that um, it didn't do a huge amount for the, for the development of cinema practically or narratively in the way that some other films we've looked at, like um, yeah. Saving Private Ryan did for war movies, Absolutely. like Citizen Kane did for any movie ever. Like Lion King did for Disney. Like Lion King for Disney, like even like Casablanca, right? Yeah. So, yeah, there you are. But this is the third oldest film that we've watched after Citizen Kane and Casablanca, and it's probably my least favourite of the three. <coughs> <coughs> Although I am enjoying our, our ongoing thread is um, I am watching like classically regarded movies and being mad that they are so yeah. well liked. Um, she's like, why? Why is this classically loved film good? I'm mad about it. It does make me mad. Well, usually people are wrong about that kind of thing. Usually people are wrong about most things. So it's a nice. Us. It's a nice surprise. It, it is. Speaking of a nice surprise, would you like to? Uh, Select our next movie. Yes, but don't you have some questions for me? I do. Oh, yeah. I know this podcast. <laughs> um, so, we talked about whether it deserves its spot. Yes. Would you watch this again in the next, like, three years? I think so. I think if I was, like I said, like hanging out with my family, your family, my grandparents. It seems like the sort of film... Sunday uh, afternoon. Your dad. Yeah. Hi, Simon. Hi, um, Simon. Um, past guest on this podcast. And yes. Our second ever guest star. Star uh, of this podcast, I would say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, he's on the IMDb. Yeah, he's on um, the IMDb. <laughs> right. Uh, it seems the sort of film your dad <clears throat> quite like. Yeah. I think it's my take We're a it. Hitchcock family. When I told him I wanted to study film, he sat me down and made me watch a bunch of Hitchcock movies and 80s movies. Nice. So he's, he's well-versed. But, okay, I think I maybe would, although it would be like a, if we were channel hopping and we're like, oh, this film's on. Yeah, I wouldn't voluntarily great. be like, let's watch Ray Window out of nowhere. No, I think you have to be in a specific mood. Yeah, yeah, and I think you... I, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of the scenario where I'd actually choose this over other Hitchcock films. I'm mm. kind of coming up blank. Yeah, that's but, fair. I think maybe if I'm doing something else and I need something on in the background that I know I'll enjoy. Yeah, yeah, true. Sorry, we're coming off as a really negative about I, film We that, did like this movie. I'm giving it four stars on yeah. my Letterboxd review. And you can follow Am on Letterboxd at... Dungeon Amster. There you are. Um, you can follow me on Letterboxd at the underscore Zarati underscore kid. I said that really quickly because it's kind of my cringe internet handle. I'll put it in the... Yeah. Um, um, so you can see my bad film takes and <laughs> me trying to be funny with my reviews and I'm not funny. No, um, he's not, but he's pretty. You can have lunch with one person from the cast and crew. Who would you pick? Grace Kelly. <sighs> I want to Grace Kelly. Um, I'd show her a good time, Will. You, you, you would. Where would you, where would you take her for dinner? I would take her to Paris. she was from Paris, the 50s. And I would... Pay no. for her dinner no, on the she, Eiffel Tower. Oh, but she's seen like Paris so much. Like, take her for like ramen or like tacos. Tacos would blow her mind. Tacos would blow her mind. I know she like Los Angeles. Oh, I in... guess I guess Los Angeles. Yeah. But you, you know what I mean? Like something like ramen where it's not like or boba. Yeah. Take her bubble tea. You know what? You're right. I don't think she would have had bubble tea before. I take her for bubble tea and a seaside walk, and it would be a date. Yeah. 
So we can title this podcast... Um, Updates Grace Kelly. Taking Grace Kelly for <laughs> bubble tea. Yes. <laughs> it's a great title. Um, I guess with that taken, I would probably have to say Hitchcock. Like, yeah, it's I didn't want to say And him. I think he would sort of not... I don't... Um, I don't think I'd enjoy it. I think I'd learn a lot. Yeah. Um, and it would also be funny talking about um, how he's viewed now. And seeing what his yeah. in it. He's also from the East End. Like, yeah, you could be like, you and my dad grew up in the same area. Yeah. yeah. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Um, my family's sort of East End as well. So there you are. Um, my other question is, one person from this film is a real person. Everyone else are Muppets. Who? I think it's got to it's got to be Jeff. Right? I think that I don't know because I think you could say Thornwald. Th- close Thornwald. Thornwald, or I think you could say Lisa. I just think it's so obvious that yeah. Jeff's got to be the human. But there aren't enough female Muppets to to cover the rest of the ground. There aren't. No, there's well Miss Piggy's Miss Piggy, Camilla, and Janice. Miss Piggy's Lisa. Janice is probably Stella. Who's I the nurse. would say Camilla, but I respect that. And then, like, there are other, like, minor Also, we're characters. acting like Gonzo and some of the Muppets wouldn't just drag up for Stella. Gonzo would drag up. Gonzo yeah. would be great in Dragon Stella. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, that's that sorted. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it's obviously got to be him. Because it's also oh. really funny when it's just a, a real human man losing his mind. And the Muppets <laughs> are kill- just... Yeah. Like, um... The Jason Segel Muppets movie, yeah. like Muppets Christmas Carol or Muppet Treasure Island. It's I want just... to watch a Muppet movie later. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you're going to your parents tonight, right? I am. I think I can talk them into Muppets... Um, Mupp- Christmas. A Muppet Christmas, the Jason Segel one. It's not a Christmas movie. Oh. It's from 2011. Oh. It's just called The Muppet Movie. <laughs> Sorry, I've been... I'm, my, my, <clears throat> I'm a fake Muppet Hi, fan. my special interest is The Muppets. Who wants to know about it? What, one of several. Unfortunately, The Muppets do not appear on the IMDb Top 100. Crime. Criminal. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to offer you the box of mystery. Yes. And you pull out a, um, a little slip and let us know what it is. It is... 74. 74. Have we done this one before? It's Coco. Coco, like the Disney movie Coco. Yeah. Oh, I love this movie. Coco 2017. Yeah, you make me in Poco Loco. Ugh. <laughs> um, is there anyone you can immediately think of that you'd like to invite? There's a few. Um, we're going to take a break over Christmas. I'll do some riffling and raffling amongst my friends. But uh, I have a really good story about this movie, which is I went to see it. No, no we'll tell the story next time. Okay, well, if you want to hear Amma's really good Coco story, <laughs> tune in next time on the Date Night Drive-In when we discuss Coco 2017. Yay! So, goodbye from us at the drive-in. Have a Merry Christmas and a happy... Actually, it's already been Christmas, but have a Happy New Year. Am's forgetting about production delays. Woo! Ho, okay. ho, ho. Um, our engines are starting. <laughs> and uh, we're driving off at... Oh, no. Wait, we're not. Because we talked we, about the... Yeah, we're yeah, home anyway, now. We're home now. Get out of our house. Get out, well, yeah, leave get out of our get, house. Get out of our house, guys. You can't come back until we talk about Coco. You can't stay. Go celebrate New Year's. You don't have else. to go home, but you can't, you can't stay, stay here. here. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> and Semi Sonic's closing time plays us out.